Welcome back. I missed doing this last week. Uh, I really look forward to these nights. So I'm looking around, uh, yeah, some people that this is your first night uh, as far as my mental attendance list goes. And um, so here's what we do. It's called Voices of Gen U, and it's voices plural. Some of you are going to get tired of hearing me say this. I've said it in different ways each week, but it's voices plural. We're hearing from two voices each night, and we're not just hearing a sermon, and that's the disclaimer on this series. If you come here, look at, well, I mean, you have gotten a couple of sermons. I mean, Quinn Shearer, for crying out loud, a couple of weeks ago, at some point, she had her Bible in the air like this. I mean, just burning the house down. Elsie and Ed and who else has done this so far? Where else? Christy, where is she? Johnny. Yeah, it's been really good. Uh, Brandon, we've heard from people in the congregation who, um, except for one, aren't by trade or never have been by trade like preachers. And the only direction that I gave any of these people was just share what God's doing in your life. That's it. We want to hear the voice of God coming through your voice, okay? So we have two uh, preachers tonight, and uh, well, there he is right there. Y'all know Dan. Uh, while Dan's standing there, I want to just make a, a, a quick announcement. We're going to make Dan stand on the stage for just a moment. But um, out in the foyer, before I forget, out in the foyer, uh, you need to buy tonight all of the Knights of Columbus Christmas cards that are out there, okay? There, it's money for that goes to a local charity right here in the community. They do good kingdom work right here in the community. Just go buy them all, and then it'll be done, right? Give them to everybody. But seriously, this is a worthy cause, and this is a group that we want to get behind and support and support the home team. Amen? So go out there, get those. Those will be good. So Dan, for many of you, needs no introduction. But for those of you that uh, don't know Dan early, he's been around here a coon's age, right? Uh, and is, uh, has just been a dear friend to me. I was Dan's youth pastor way back when and uh, has a knack for leading worship. And uh, the thing, all of the things, great things you can say about Dan, he's a, he's a contractor, he's um, many things, whatever. The thing I love most about Dan and the reason that as we were praying through this as a team, like who is, who is uh, going to, to, to grace the platform and deliver these messages? Dan's just Dan. And what you see is what you get with Dan. And you're, if, you, if you want authenticity, if you want heart, if you want just honesty, that's Dan. And so my, my hope tonight is uh, that Dan's heart comes through and, and touches your heart in a way that encourages you and blesses you. And so just listen with the, uh, with the ears that are inside. Amen? Amen. Would you welcome Dan Early to preach the word to us tonight? Thank you, Tommy. And I want to clarify something. I think a couple of weeks ago, I was kind of literally thrown under the bus. I was not here on a Sunday. We're talking about Voices of Gen U, and somebody on the front row over here with red hair said that I was in my tree stand hunting. Yep. No, yep. actually, I was preparing for a wedding. Turned out to be a really incredible day for me. <laughs> Just wanted to, you know, go ahead and break the ice real quick. Thanks, Tommy. Appreciate that. I'm going to start this out with Romans 15, 13. It says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. And I, in all caps, put all joy and peace. My life has been 
little bit of a roller coaster ride. Most of it was self-inflicted. It's kind of the, the funny way of saying that. Um, I've been at this church since I was, I think, 14 years old when we moved over from Valpia Assembly, and I always had the, you know, the ride height, the joys of youth camp, and then the bottom out back to school, and it seemed like it kind of carried on. You know, I was raised, obviously, probably the week after I was born, I, I would assume I was in church. Mom can probably verify that. Um, excuse me for a minute. <clears throat> it's been, uh, I guess, to say that I was necessarily raised in legalism wasn't that my parents knew any better, but that's kind of the way I felt like it was. It was a rule book you followed, and most of my life, literally probably up until this year doing the Freedom Series, I've spent my whole life there. I never could do enough to feel like I deserved what God did for me. Never could do enough to feel like his love and his grace was mine. Um, <clears throat> sorry, I didn't think I'd get choked up. <laughs> it's, it's, been, uh, it's been hard, and then I still struggle with this, this, this Freedom Series. If you haven't gone through it, I suggest you, you, you pick a class when it comes back around after the new year. It's still a struggle for me to really understand God's grace and to, to really feel what he wants us to feel, to really understand his love. Um, you know, this verse says, the more you trust him, the more joy and the more peace you will have. And my life, like I said, has been a roller coaster. I've had some rough things happen this year. It's probably been one of the worst years of my life, followed by becoming the best year of my life. But it all started with, okay, I can go two ways with this point in my life. I can fill myself with the world. I can chase friends and party and, you know, go have a good time. Or I can seek God's face and be a good dad and be the example that he meant for me to be. And I've kind of learned that, you know, trusting in him has really given me a new life. It's given me a new hope, a really safe place to feel pain. A lot of you obviously in your life have gone through pain. You've gone through things that no one will ever know about. A lot of my stuff no one will ever know about. A lot of you do know. But, you know, pain is a place to where God really gets a chance to get a hold of you. You got nothing left. You're on the bottom. What are you going to do? You can't pick yourself up. Fortunately, I've got one of the most amazing families that you can possibly have, not only at home but at church. But, you know, that's the time when he comes in and he says, all right, you know, I'm here. Are you going to take me? Or are you going to, you know, take care of this yourself? And now, like I said, I've, a lot of this was self-inflicted. So a lot of times I've always tried to control my situation, tried to control what was going on around me. And I would give stuff to God, but it would just be what I wanted him to have. I wouldn't ever just say, here, <laughs> I can't do it anymore. It's your turn. But it's amazing seeing when you get to that point in your life saying, God, it's yours. I can't do it. How many doors start opening up and how many things start actually happening that he was probably holding for you for only he knows how long. It's, um, I, I wrote here, you know, pain is, a, is good for you because when you feel broken and empty, God's right there to take you in. And that's whenever you really grow in him. It's given me a better relationship with my son and really enabled me to trust his life with him. Caden, some of you know him, he's 14 years old, he's as big as I am, he's one of the sweetest kids you'll ever meet, but some of the stuff that we've gone through and he's gone through in his life, he's taught me, dad quit being so judgmental, 
Dad, why are you acting that way? Dad, why are you saying that way? I'm a 38-year-old man and my 14-year-old straightening me out at the time. It's, it's kind of funny to see it, but, you know, when God's got his heart, he's actually next door leading worship right now in youth. And God has grabbed him and sucked him in, and I can't tell you how thankful I am for that. I've found the more that I trust him, the more he'll trust me with. And whether that be relationships, finances, stuff going on in your home, the next job, like you said, I'm a contractor, how the homeowner is going to react, how we interact with one another. I'm sure all of you in this place have or have had a job. Some of you are retired. You've worked for some people that probably weren't real friendly throughout your life. You know, being a contractor, every now and then that takes up about two months, three months, sometimes six months of your life, hoping your phone doesn't ring. But, you know, God knows what's ahead. Whether it's inflicted by you, whether it's inflicted by someone else, he is capable of, of opening the right doors for you and making things easier and making things smoother. I talked a little bit about my childhood. You know, I was raised in church and was raised to be a believer, was raised that this is your life. You know, you, you don't miss church unless you're sick. You don't wear jeans with holes in them. <laughs> you, you, you show up when the doors are open. You're supposed to be there. And I've tried to raise my son the same way. But, you know, you get caught up in trying to do the right things that you can also get caught up in the religion side of things and not the relationship side of things. I guess what I'm mostly trying to say is, you know, everything that I have encompassed in my life up until this year was really a religion. Never really understood what he was for me, what he is to me, and what he could be for your family. Um, I got involved. I, was, I reached out to Tommy some time ago now and said, man, we really need a small group for men. We need something early a.m. Or, or whatever it wind up being, and I want it small, seven to ten people at the most. And, and, and when are you going to start something? And I, <laughs> I basically get this, when are you going to start something? <laughs> so probably the best thing I've ever done. Most of the guys are sitting in here right now, and if you're not involved in something small, if you're not involved in something with another group of people, you're, you're kind of doing things wrong. And that was hard for me to learn. It's hard for me to speak about my problems. It's hard for me to speak about my situations. But when you're in a group with five to seven guys and you can really lay things out there and know that they're not walking outside telling everybody else in the world about it, it's a, it's a place to where you can actually find healing. So that's really just trying to speak about what God's doing in my life. That's, that's been one of the biggest things for me. I wrote down, I know all of you have either had kids or grandkids or have them now, the, the Cars movie. And Tomato, he's driving backwards in circles, and he said, you ain't got to know where you're going. You just got to know where you've been. That's kind of the map for my life. <laughs> you don't have to know what you're planning and what's ahead. You just got to know where you went and what you don't want. And that was the hardest thing for me, finding, like I said, I just got married, finding a new relationship. And y you know what, what can be ahead of you and how good things can be if you'll just trust and allow him to do what he wants to do with it. Tommy, that's pretty much me wrapping up my 15 minutes in, in eight or seven. <laughs> pray real quick. Father, I pray that you just open the eyes and ears to the, and the hearts of the people in here to hear Miss Hannah and to hear what's on her heart. And just thank you for this congregation of folks. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Yeah. Oh.
Dan told me, he said, <laughs> he said, I've been, been thinking about this, probably going to be about eight to ten minutes. I said, I said, well, if you think it's going to be eight to ten, it'll probably be 15, right? It was really more like eight to ten. You were right about that. I was wrong. <laughs> you did say practice out loud and see how long this would take. Did I say that? Yeah, that's one on, one on your little emails. On the emails? Yeah. I didn't do that, by the way. I didn't expect you to. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm always, uh, when I'm around Dan, you, 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 just, you just pick up whatever he's going through. If he's having a tough time, you're going to get that. If you're having a joyful time, you're going to, and that you've been that way as long as I've known you. My whole you. life. And for me, it's, so when you see God doing a work in somebody's life, you get that too. And, you know, as, as um, somebody who gets to watch the activity of God in people's life, it's, it's been great to see that, you know. And you know it's God's activity. You know it is. One of the things that they commented about Jesus' disciples was they're, they're like, these are, these are everyday guys here that God is working through. These are everyday, in fact, they said fishermen. Which you're, I mean, you killed the biggest gator in the history of Basin, Boggy, Bayou, wherever it was. But it was... Uh, it's just been really good to watch that and to see that's what this is about, right? What God's doing here at Genu. Um, so how was your wedding? How was that? It was amazing. Yeah. Very small, very sweet, yeah. very short. <laughs> the perfect wedding for a man. <laughs> now I'm in trouble. I'm just going to let it go. Um, <laughs> is your wife here tonight? She's sitting right beside mom and dad. Where? Where are you? Okay. There you are. Okay. I met her, and I was like, she's, she's going to keep you in line. I, 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 Somebody I, has to. She is sharp, you know. <laughs> What's she like? Tell us about her. Probably one of the most amazing individuals I've ever met. Yeah. She's beautiful inside and out. Yeah. Good. Amen. You kind of alluded to it. This year has been one of you emerging uh, as a leader. And I don't, you would shirk that label. I've known you long enough to know I'm not a leader, whatever. You're leading. You're influencing. You're influencing men. You're influencing other people. You, you're leading a group that you, were, you felt like the unlikeliest suspect you know, to be invited to do something like that, and you did it, and it's great, and all the guys love you, and they love it, right? And they feel like it's their group. And then it's like, we're going to pilot a men's freedom group. Who, who does Pastor Phil want on that list? Well, it's Dan Early. And you go, okay. And now you're going to be leading a freedom group in the new year. What's it been like emerging into not just attending, but like leading? What's that been like this year? I'd say scary. Um, like I said, you, you heard in the way I spoke a while ago, I never really lived out God's grace side of things and always felt like my failures weren't good enough and didn't want to be in the center of anyone's attention inside the church. I, I led worship. That was great. I could close my eyes and raise my hands. You didn't even exist. 
that was me and God. Um, this is a whole nother ball game. But uh, it's, it's been real. It's been, um, I guess, you know, like a, a check. It's been very much a, a line to keep yourself in check of and, and to think about other things than yourself. You're going to leave here tonight. You're going to get in your truck. You're going to go home. And the enemy is going to meet you and tell you how much of an idiot you were tonight. Wow, that's perfectly fine. I, right. Small, small story real quick. I was driving down the road a couple of three weeks ago. Transformer by Burger King blows up over the top of my truck. Metal melts into my windshield on top of my cab. And, and I only tell you this story because I went later to my parents' house. I was talking to my mom. Dad was out of town. And I was like, you know, I thought I was kind of living right. <laughs> and my mom kind of looks at me like, you dummy. <laughs> you know, Satan's, Satan doesn't give up. He never will. Um, it's just a matter, I guess, of how we handle it and, and knowing that that battle's already won and that I don't have to do anything. All I have to do is just relax and trust, which is extremely hard for me to, to give. I'm, I'm a control freak. I want to control everything on, around me. But uh, knowing that it's already done and he just can't hurt me, he can try, he, he can put me through whatever he wants to. But the last time that he's put in, tried to put me through something, I think I came out a little in a better place. So, amen. Talk about pain. And um, it, it almost feels like you've, you've arrived at the place where pain was kind of a gift that you didn't expect to deliver. Um, and you said, I jotted it down, you said, and I, were you talking, you said a safe place to feel pain. Were you talking about church? Were you talking about your, the men's group? Where were you talking about? Men's group. The men's group. How was that a safe place, other than confidentiality, how is that group of guys a safe place to feel pain? The small group I'm involved in is so diverse. It's from guys my age, a few years younger, and it's guys who are, have, have well been through it and retired and in a different stage of life. Being generations united, being able to share what one's been through and how he handled it, what we're going through, younger dads with our kids and, and, and wives and, and whatever it may be, to me, that was a safety net because some of these guys have already lived through stuff that was worse. <laughs> but to know how they handled it, to know how they're still here, to know how strong their faith is now, like I said, it's a safety net. If you were to leave here tonight, you go, man, the one thing I hope that these people got from me, what do you, what do you hope the one thing that they picked up, even if you didn't already say it? I, I, I guess it's a little bit of faith, a little bit of trust, taking it away from yourself and giving up a little bit more each time that you can, the more you're going to see him bless you and the more you're going to see him put in front of you. Mm -hmm. You said you, that verse, it was Romans. I, I don't remember exactly which verse it was because I was still recovering from whenever you were talking about <laughs> me throwing you under the bus. Um, you, you said the more you trust, the more joy and more peace you have. That's not easy, Dan. No. How do you do that, especially whenever it's hitting the fan? I go back to the beginning of the story. I didn't have a choice. Tommy, I didn't have a – it was one way or the other, in my opinion, because of the pain that I was feeling in my life. So if I don't trust in him, there's no way I'm coming out of this. There's no way my son 
Excuse me. <laughs> There's no way he makes it out of it the same way. There's no way he's still next door doing what he's doing. So you can choose one side or you can choose the other. I mean, I didn't have a choice but to trust because he's the only power that can get you out of that kind of pain. I was talking to a man this week who's a leader at, um, in an institution, I'll leave it at that. He's not from around here. And he, he, was, he encountered such a difficult situation and he was responsible as the leader for leading a lot of people. And the way that, it, that his people were interpreting the pain was to want to be angry at the wrong that was done. You're not human if you don't go through that. Sure. And he, he, said, he said, here's what I told him. You have energy to fight one battle. You can be angry or you can go into the future. But you don't have energy to do both. You can fight bitterness, anger, who has wronged you, and whatever. I'm not saying it's your situation. I'm just saying that that, that spoke to me, and you're, what you're saying speaks to me is you, how you interpret the events of your You don't get to control the events of your life most of the time. Now, you can do some stupid stuff. I do stupid stuff. Welcome to the human condition, right? But you, you don't always get to choose what happens, but how you interpret what happens. And that's the hard part. Pastor Phil and I were talking this week. I was telling him some, some just crap I stuff. I got going on in my life. Crap, for God's sake. Um, it's okay. He's just like, how much of that's based in fear, man? I'm like, probably all of it. I just felt like trust was the invitation. And that's not easy. That's not easy for me. I don't expect it is for most people. Um, finish this sentence for me. Now, God is making the statement, Okay. You know, the one area that Dan and I are really working on together is Dan giving up everything, trusting more, more faith. Yeah. What stands out to you as a person who's been around here since you're 14, right, and you're 38? What stands out to you about where we are as a church and as a congregation at Gen U at this point in time? You know, it's been spoke from the pulpit for so long that no one fights alone. And I don't think that was necessarily true for the first several times it was spoken, whether that be months or years. But I think for me, getting myself involved and pushing into something else, it became true. And the only thing I can say for that is you can't just sit around and wait on it to come to you. You've got to step out and do something yourself. It's not always just going to be sitting there. The invitation's not always going to be available. Like I said, I started it out with, hey, we need this group. And what I got back was, you're doing it. <laughs> yes, sir. <laughs> I guess that's, it, it really is a place, and there really are people here that care and people who will walk through stuff with you and have for me. I think that's... You know, when a church says it's a place where no one fights alone, well, the first time you go through something and somebody doesn't show up for you, right, you think, well, that's a bunch of bull. But there is something about being part of the body of Christ to where you just have to go, listen, it, it hurts. 
are you going to be here for me? You know, and sometimes people won't. But I do think that it's, there, there's a lot of wisdom in no one fights alone is actually an invitation Correct. to sometimes be the solution, to step up, you know. And sometimes the pain is the calling. I agree. Listen, I need a group of men. Okay, there's your calling. What frustrates you? What aggravates you? That's your, that's your calling. Well, I'm just grateful, man. And I'm, I think you should take Dan up on his offer, the freedom experience that's going to start um, first part of February. Uh, I think we're offering one or two. The details escape me right now, but one or two men's groups, several women's groups as well. Um, freedom's not sitting around, a bunch of guys hugging each other. and No, I mean, it's real life rubber meets the road, sharing your heart, and um, yeah, so Dan, thank you, man. This was, this was more than I hoped it would be, and I had pretty high hopes for it, so would you say thank you to Dan early tonight? All right. <clears throat> that was, it's good stuff. I took some notes. I hope you did, too. Uh, Hannah Nowers is our next preacher, so uh, I'm pretty excited about that one. Um, again, we're going through the list of who, who is the Lord inviting in this season. Who knows? Maybe we'll do Voices of Genu again. That could be fun, right? So maybe you'll be next, so be careful. Uh, but Hannah is Hannah's one of those people that is like, okay, she, she seems to be in that season to where the Lord is just amplifying her voice, strikes me as a person that God is expanding her influence, and also strikes me as the type of person who doesn't care about any of that and just wants to follow Jesus. And so Hannah uh, has been at JNU for about eight years, uh, serves in uh, United Student Ministries next door uh, with 11th and 12th grade girls, uh, co-leading a small group. And um, she wanted me to make sure, and she said, um, don't forget this, that she went to the University of Florida, uh, graduated from the University of Florida with a degree in international studies. So would you welcome a Florida Gator? Chomp, chomp. Hannah Nowers. Is this on? Can you guys hear me? Okay, cool. I didn't know if it was on. Well, thank you for that wonderful introduction. I did. I wanted you guys to know, I'm just so proud to be a Gator, so I have to mention it every time that I'm somewhere. But um, I really am so honored and just super excited to be here to share with you guys, honestly. Um, when Tommy asked me to do it, I was like, okay, yeah, let's go. Like, this sounds fun. Um, and as God just continued to take me on this journey, I really felt like it was an airplane ride where we just like took off. And I was like, I don't know where we're going. And then he sort of like landed the plane. And I was like, okay, God, like, let's do it. And um, the thing that I really just wanted to talk with you guys about and the Lord really confirmed that for me, even today as I was driving home from work, is just understanding like the stillness of God and understanding what intimacy with him really looks like. And I think God kind of started this journey in me probably, I would say, maybe like the fall of 2018. And it's just kind of continued ever since then. But I actually had this really awesome opportunity to go to Israel like a year ago from today. 
And I was on the Sea of Galilee, and I know you guys probably think like, oh, I'm going to go on the Sea of Galilee. This is where Jesus did all these amazing things, and I'm just going to have this incredible moment with God. And I was like watching all these people around me in this boat, and they were, you know, getting into it and crying and all these things. And I'm just like looking around going, hey, like, this is still, like, this is quiet. Like, this is nice. And... I sort of felt a little bit of shame inside, like, am I not close enough to God? Like, am I not able to, like, feel him or hear him or to be able to experience him in this amazing Israel way that everybody talks about? And from that moment, God has just continued to take me on this journey of what it looks like to have quiet intimacy with him. And so that's kind of what I want to talk with you guys about today, so... I'm excited to share how um, the Lord has been working in my life. But before I do that, I just want to say a prayer and just welcome God to come in. So, uh, dear Heavenly Father, I just want to say um, thank you so much for just the opportunity to be here. And I just pray, God, that you would just speak through me whatever your people need to hear and that we would just continue to be open to receiving your things. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So as I was contemplating how I was supposed to get this message of cross of sort of stillness with God and intimacy with him, I began to think about sort of the season that we're in. And I thought about us here. And I believe that if you're here on Wednesday nights, most people that come to Wednesday night church, like they actually want to learn more about God. And so you guys that are here, many of you are laborers. Many of you are people that heard Matthew 28, 19 and said, yes, I want to go and make disciples. I want to go and do this and I want to go and do that. And it's awesome. Like you guys' heart has been stirred toward this incredible and noble theme that God has put inside of you. And you're ready to go and to do the things that God has called you to do. But I have this intense fear sometimes that, we hold on way too much to like the go mentality and we forget about the intimacy with Christ mentality. And we forget that the God-sized visions and dreams that the Lord has put inside of us are incredibly powerful, but at the same time, we will never be able to fulfill them if we do not develop intimacy with our maker. And for some of us, that can be really challenging. I related a lot to Dan's story. You know, I'm just like sitting over there and there's tears coming in my eyes because I understand that frustration that you feel when you don't know how to accept grace, when you don't know how to slow down, when you don't know how to love yourself, when you don't know how to be the person that you're called to be, so you just feel frustrated and you turn the other way. And I, and I had to take myself, God took me on the same journey that Dan had to go through of what it looks like to accept yourself for who you are what it looks like to walk with God, what it looks like to be taken on this incredible journey to know that I am loved, accepted, and forgiven, and what that actually looks like. And then once I realized that, it was like, okay, well, now I know that I'm called according to a purpose. So, all right, let's run the race. But then sometimes God has to pull the brakes back a little bit and say, first, come and get to know me a little better. Come and get to understand my heart Come and get to understand my actions. Come, against, come and understand who I really am, not only to you, but who I am to other people. And as God took me on this journey, it's brought me to here. It's brought me to understanding that 
I am loved and that I am accepted and I am forgiven and I am called according to a purpose, but my whole life was not necessarily formed just so I could run this race. Even though that is a part of it, my whole life was made to create relationship with God. I think we forget sometimes that Adam and Eve like walked in the garden with God. He didn't sit on some throne and then they came to his feet. He walked with them. Like our ultimate relationship and our ultimate design as humans was to be in complete and utter intimate relationship with God. And I believe that's what he wants to invite us into today is just a continuation of that deeper relationship with him. As I was um, preparing, I just really felt like God was leading me to share a little bit of the Shema prayer, which is um, a prayer that all Jews pray in the morning and the evening. And I just love this because I feel that it is such like a consecration. And the way that Jews practice this is they literally cover their eyes because they say that they do not want to be distracted by the things around them. One of my favorite verses in the Bible is out of Psalm 119.37, and it's in the message, and it says, Divert my eyes from toys and trinkets. Invigorate me on your pilgrim way. And I feel that we are so much in a season right now that we have the ability to become distracted. There are so many things. I was just talking with Sheena right before this time that I got up here, and we were talking about social media and all these things in our lives that cause us to be distracted. There can be so many good things, but I'm going to tell you what, God is asking us to go deeper and to do the God things. Like, I feel that we can waste our time doing all these things that we feel are going to bring quote-unquote fruit in our life, but I promise you that they're not going to bring any fruit. And we're in this season where God is like, I need you to be ready to do the things that I'm calling you to do, but you're not going to be able to do it unless you're willing to cleave away the things that are not important. And it's hard, and it's frustrating. And as I know Miss Elsie talked about this, and I mean, I've read other people and listened to other people, and so many people are saying the same things, that we are in this season of clinging to Christ, of clinging to him in this deep, deep way. And this prayer that the Jews pray, the Shema prayer, it just consecrates this deepness with God. And it says, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God. Every one of you, put your hand over your eyes right now. Put your hand over your eyes. And it says, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God. The Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments I give to you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. You guys can uncover your eyes. But we can see that in this moment that we choose to consecrate, when we choose to truly say, okay, God, I'm going to give you everything I just feel that there's some of us here that are like, okay, God, I want more. Like, I want something more from you. I want to go and I want to do more and I want to be more and I want to be the person that you're calling me to be, but I don't know how to do that. And I'm telling you that the answer is sitting with Christ. It's entering into those still moments, entering into those times when you may not feel the rush of the Holy Spirit, as we like to talk about in Pentecostal circles, or we may not feel like the Spirit has fallen in all these ways, but it's sitting. 
It's taking time. It's allocating our time, talent, and treasure. There's this concept of first fruits, and we talk about it a lot when we talk about money and tithing. But I think God wants to take us to another level when it comes to our talent and our treasure. And many of the, in our time, and those things go hand in hand. You know, maybe instead of watching an hour of TV when you get home, meet somebody for coffee and disciple them. I can tell you right now that my generation truly is hungry for people to come in and to mentor us and to be with us. But I'm just going to be real honest. We're not getting any invitations. We're just getting a whole lot of condemnation. And we're ready to step into a place where we can take our relationships deeper with Christ. But we need you. You know, we need you guys. And if we don't have you, we're not going to be able to fill the things that God has put in our hearts and in our lives. But we need mentorship and guidance because we can be a little flaky sometimes. I know this. I can be flaky. But we need you guys. And it's going to come from you taking your time and your talent and your treasure and investing in us and helping us to become the people that we're called to be. So I just challenge you to step into that intimacy with him. So to wrap it up, if there's three things that I want you to kind of take away from what I've talked about today is spending time in his presence. And number two, allow yourself to melt in his arms. There's this concept, um, and it's called, it's another Hebrew word. You can kind of see where God's in my heart right now, but um, it's called the devek. It's a hug. And in Deuteronomy, it talks about this. It talks about cleaving unto God. And this whole concept of a hug and cleaving unto God is like a father holding on to his daughter for forever or two lovers that just want to get away and be intimate with one another. And it's like this is the word that is used to how we form our relationship with Christ. And many of us have warped views of who a father is, of who God actually is because we think that he sits on a throne and he wants to just rip us apart. But no, he is a loving God who cares and loves and reaches in so deep and wants to understand the deepest and darkest parts of us, wants to feel the pain that Dan talked about, wants to dig down deep with us. And until we allow ourselves to melt in, until we allow ourselves to just feel that intimacy of what Christ has for us, I just don't think we're ever going to be able to get to the place where we truly feel we're called to be. And so I challenge you to allow yourself to melt in his arms. And once you're in his arms, like any good father, he's going to tell you that he loves you. But also, if he sees that there may be something that you're doing that is maybe not the best, he may tell you to stop. Or he may give you some redirection. And we have to start becoming okay with Christ disciplining us. In Hebrews, chapter tw- in Hebrews it talks about the fact that God disciplines those he loves. And he would not redirect us if he did not love us. I've had some hard moments in my life where I've had to say, okay, God, I know that you're telling me not to do this, and I've just had to say, okay, and trust and know that I'll be blessed. And in those moments when I didn't obey, it sucked. It was hard. And it's like I believe that God wants us to just listen in to what he's saying. I know many of us, I'm going to end with this, like to talk about Psalm 91. And we love to, uh, you know, pray Psalm 91, which is an awesome psalm to pray if you're in need of protection. But it says, whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. 
you got to be pretty close to somebody to rest in their shadow. So if you want to rest in the shadow of Christ, you've got to be close to him. You've got to cleave to him. You've got to understand who he is. And you've got to walk with him into deeper ways. All right, I'm going to pray. Um, dear Heavenly Father, I just thank you so much for um, just the incredible being that you are and the way that you fill our hearts with love and the way that you walk with us and the way that you teach us and the way that you allow us to just step into places with you. So even now today, God, I just pray for each and every individual here that they would step into deeper places with you and that they would just continue to grow in their relationship with relationships with you. Just multiply them miraculously, Father. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Now, you told me you had been over that three times. 15 to 18 minutes. How long do you think it was? I'm going to go with a solid 20. 13. Oh, I was good, good. Any preacher that preaches short, I'm a fan of that preacher. <laughs> do you know how long Jesus' longest sermon was on record? I do not. Seven minutes. Seven, seven. dang. If you were to read the Sermon on the Mount, it'd be seven minutes long. Wow. Martin Luther King Jr.'s I Have a Dream speech, seven minutes. Seven is the magic number. I'm making a case that all preachers should preach seven minutes. <laughs> Did you hear that, Pastor Phil? I was talking to me, <laughs> not him. He's my boss. The thing is, we do seven-minute sermons. Is just we do three parts every week. It's like 21 minutes. It's fine. <laughs> How, first of all, thank you. You clearly put a lot of thought into that, and you gave us your heart. And to, I, I don't, you're, you get, you'll get this. I don't always remember what someone says. I remember what, what, someone, what someone was. You don't always, does that make sense? I won't beat that. You just, you pick up, you pick up the spirit of that person. Yeah. And um, you, just, you just bring a passion for the Lord. And um, you didn't say anything with which I disagreed. But whether or not people disagreed with you is immaterial. Argue with the passion. Go ahead. You can't, right? So that you just, you just walk with the Lord, you know. I'm curious, how would you describe your, your sense of calling? By the way, they don't know the questions ahead of time. I don't know their <laughs> sermon. They don't know the questions. How would you describe your sense of your own calling? Yeah, I think um, it definitely has developed over time. I think um, when I first sort of stepped into this whole God thing, um, I didn't, and I know this sounds weird, but it's like I didn't really know Jesus until I was in college. Like, I knew who God was, and I understood, you know, that he was there and that he was great and that he was good and that he was loving, but I, too, am a control freak and try to be, like, my own savior many times. And until I had stepped into a place where I really, like, needed a savior um, and I was at that kind of rock-bottom place, that's when Jesus, like, the King of kings and Lord of lords, became real to me. And because I had knew God prior to understanding who Jesus was, 
I still felt this like, okay, like I want to go and serve the Lord. And for a lot of my life, that's looked like missions. And I still feel like there is a huge part of me that cares for the globe. But as God has continued to kind of, you know, teach me and move with me into different seasons of my life, I feel like more than anything, my sense of calling has developed into equipping people and helping people to understand their vision and their dream and how God can use them to glorify his kingdom wherever they are, whether that's here or whether that's in Chile or wherever that is. It's, it's, it's wherever God wants me to be. But I do feel that strong, like, you know, there are people that need to understand that they are called of God. And what does that actually look like? Is there a word for that calling? Is there a word for which calling? For the calling that you just described to equip people, to call out the giftings inside of them. Is there a word for that? I hear a lot of people talk about that term as kind of apostolic, but I don't know how some people don't describe it as that. Some people do, but... Have you always felt like it was okay as a woman to have a calling that would have such leadership and influence in the church? Yes. Um, I feel very blessed that, so you talked earlier about kind of how Quinn is like your grandmother, so I have an amazing grandmother as well who is an amazing minister of the gospel, and so she, from a very young, um, from myself at a very young age, has always instilled in me this, you have a call of God on your life, and it doesn't matter if you're a woman. Thank God. Not only does it not matter, sometimes it's just like (laughs) the voice of God coming through a woman the voice of God coming through it. We're looking for the voice of God. Yeah, thank God. Maybe the church is making headway. That's a good thing. Amen. What was it like to prepare for this sermon? Um, so for me, the way that God kind of works when I've, whenever I've been given opportunity to speak is he just kind of gives me a topic. He just kind of drops it in my spirit. And like I said, we go on this journey, him and I together of, exploring what that looks like, putting it down on paper, and then, you know, how does it look like with other people? And I don't know. It's just kind of a journey. <laughs> Is there a, was there a moment to where you were like, I don't really know which direction to go. I could go this way. I could go this way. What was the, what was the sermon you didn't preach that you thought you might preach? See, okay. All right. So an aspect, too, of what I was going to talk about was kind of Jesus on the Sea of Galilee and how he slept. And I was going to just tell everybody to take a nap. Okay. So, yeah, that's where I was going to go. Because, I mean, that's resting, so. Yeah, there I are thought... three people in the room right now that actually heard that message. <laughs> <laughs> there, she's right. So that's no, resting. but I wanted to talk about the fact that um, it, I just thought, I just think that the fact that Jesus sleeps during that is I think it's awesome that he calms the storm, you know? But the fact that Jesus is just sleeping yeah. and he's like, yo, like, chill out. Like, just take a nap, you know? Right. I feel like sometimes he tells me, Hannah, chill out, take a nap, you know? So this is a huge risk, what I'm about to do, and it's probably <laughs> going to fail. Are you familiar with the Enneagram? Don't worry if you don't know what Oh, that yes, is. yes, What yes. number? I'm a one. Okay, I was going to go hardcore <laughs> one because rest, um, serenity, is a fully developed, serenity is, is the invitation for a, a really spiritual one, right? Do you feel like serenity and rest is something that you've always, is it always come easy to you or is it something that you've resisted and you're having to learn? 
Oh, I've definitely resisted it and having to learn. Um, I think that, so quieting the mind is very hard, but I also think too, just like for most of my life, not resting was also avoidance of like sitting down and allowing God to speak to me and allowing God to like heal things in my heart. So I like overworked because I just didn't want to deal with things. And so I think now God is taking me on this, like, okay, Hannah, like, it's time to, like, actually sit down and, like, deal with things, like, what has gone on, like, what you've done, not necessarily, like, oh, you've done this, da-da-da, but of, like, hey, like, this is stuff you've walked through, and, like, it's time to kind of uncover a little bit of it and take you to that level of, like, healing and intimacy, so. Do you find that you get frustrated, like, with do some Christians frustrate you? Oh, yes. Okay. So anger is probably something that comes easy to you. Oh, yeah. Okay. So what frustrates you about the church? Not this church, just the church. Because you're clearly fiery. I mean, you come with fire. You, you have something to say. And that's good. Right. Um, if I had to say, I guess the thing that frustrates me most about the church is that I just feel sometimes that it's asleep. I feel that it's asleep to what's going on. It's asleep to things in this world that actually matter. And I feel that we get wrapped up in things that actually don't. Like what? Um, I'm trying to, like, I know that media marketing and stuff is important. But I feel that there are aspects of, like, we try to make church look too good on the outside when, like, the raw and beauty and the diversity of church doesn't really look that good on the outside. And I see that a lot sometimes, and I fear that we push people away because we try to make it look too good. But we also just, I feel that we have people in the church that are just asleep to what God is doing, and they just want to live their own life. And they don't want to fall. We, we all get into this concept of, you know, I want to live my own life. I want to do my own thing. And we, we constantly have to battle that. You know, like being a Christian, in all reality, Paul talks about picking up his cross daily. And I feel sometimes that we think that we can pick up our cross once a week. But it's a constant battle for us to honestly kill our flesh. And I see sometimes that the church is asleep to the concept of killing their flesh. All right, so let's go, let's go to silence. And I'm not taking a detour, I'm going, I'm, I'm following you. So uh, there's a writer named Henri Nouwen. Some people call him Henry, he's Dutch, right? So Henri, he, he wrote a little book called The Way of the Heart. And in that book, he says that the way of the desert mothers and fathers, as they fled from, um, just imperial Christianity in the fourth century to get out in the desert. They had to get away. It wasn't that they were trying to like run from the church. They were actually running for the church. They knew the only way to hold on to the faith was actually to get outside of the system. And then people came to them. And he says that there's, there's this triad of sorts. There's, there's solitude, which he calls the furnace of transformation. Then there's silence. And then there's prayer. And that's, that's the way of the desert, he would say. So these radical, like the, not to keep belaboring the Enneagram, but the Enneagram one is the reformer, right? It's improver. Your, your calling is something deeper and always be better. Um, what is it that, what is silence? 
what do I do in silence? Where does that, the question I had written down before I knew what you were going to talk about was, tell me about your favorite spiritual practice or discipline that you really enjoy. So you're learning silence. What is, how do, what do I wear? What do I do and what is, why does it matter? I think for me, um, it's been just like getting away with God. Um, and I, I think just like even sometimes just seeing, I mean, I'm, I'm single, I'm not married. So I sometimes like, honestly, I'm like, okay, Lord, like, let's go have a coffee date or let's do something like that because that helps me to develop my intimacy with him. Um, but I think just like choosing to escape the noise. And I, I read this book one time and it, co- it talked about the concept of shutting the door. And like, I literally like shut my door in the morning and I just like, I close out the world because I'm like, this is my time with God. And sometimes if I'm in other places throughout the day where I have an opportunity to just kind of have kind of that shut door mentality, I allow myself to step into that. And you go into the room and you shut the door and you do nothing. (laughs) No, not necessarily. Don't do nothing. But for the most part, I just like the first probably, you know, 15 minutes that I'm in there, I just like sit, just like sit and stare at the wall. And I just allow myself to kind of like gather and allow God to kind of start speaking to me or allow him to kind of get me thinking about something. Okay. But it's, but it, for me, it's a, I have to choose to shut up. So you're an Enneagram one with a nine wing. No. Two. Two. I went wrong because (laughs) here's why it's like we're having an insider conversation except for the two people who are like, what the heck is he talking about? A pentagram? Um, the, it's a, it's a way of thinking about, it's a viewing the, the human personality. Yep. Silence is hard for me, okay? My mind is a chatterbox of monkeys. Like, it's monkeys fighting with monkeys. <laughs> I close my eyes, and I, I start planning stuff. I start envisioning, you know, what could go wrong in the world. You know, I start examining moles on my skin. I just, I clo- silence is not my friend, and I know it's my invitation. Is silence hard for anybody else? I forgot that y'all were there sometimes. Okay, so silence is hard. Silence is hard for me, but I know it's the next step for me. How, what do I do when I go into the room and I shut the door? Because the problem is I can get away, but I'm there. I get away from everything, but I'm still there. People are like, I go to a monastery. Yeah, but I'm, I'm going to be at the monastery. It's a silent retreat, not in my head. What do I do? Help the pastor for spiritual formation out. (laughs) No, I struggled with this too, for sure. Um, And now I'm like addicted to silence. (laughs) But I think that the, the thing you have to do is number one, like be patient with yourself. Um, allow yourself the grace to say, it's okay if my mind is running a thousand miles a minute, because honestly, like if your mind wasn't running a thousand miles a minute, things wouldn't get done in this world. So like, it's okay to accept the fact that we have trouble with silence. But then once we accept that, it's asking God to say, okay, Lord, like how do I enter into this just place of stillness? And how do I accept that? And I honestly don't have a super concrete answer because I feel like it looks different for every person. But I feel inviting God to still your mind and just, you know, we say be still and know that I am God, but truly allowing ourselves to be still and to rest. Does having a thought help? 
Because that's one little hack that helps me is coming into silence with a thought mm -hmm. like the Jesus prayer mm -hmm. or the Lord is my shepherd. Mm -hmm. Is that something that works for you or you just don't need that? You just go straight in deep. No, no, no. I think sometimes that having a thought or having like, okay, God, I feel I really just need to like focus in on this or focus in on that okay. and then just release that, you know. So you said there are three things that you hope that we take away from this and I read them down. Number one, spending time in his presence. And for you, is that morning? You wake up? Yeah, yeah. Okay. I'm a morning person. So, but I mean, I don't want it to, I don't ever want it to be only when I'm there in the morning, you know, mm -hmm. I want my relationship with Christ to be constant throughout the day. Like, you know, Hey Lord, like what's up? You know, what should I be doing? Mm -hmm. Not necessarily always what I'm doing right now, but taking a moment to like acknowledge that God is with me in my work day or God is with me when I'm with other people or God is with me when I'm driving. So what's your job? I work, I'm a, I'm a personnel manager, but I work on base. You work on base and you manage humans. Yep. Okay. So the first thing you're saying is spend time in his presence. And the second thing that you said was something about giving, like letting Jesus hug you. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. That's a <laughs> metaphor that I'm, I'm going to have to relax into. Because like hugging Jesus. You, you actually didn't say that. You said melt into his arms still hard for me. So <laughs> I'm thinking, I was reading this week that most hugs last on average three seconds. Mm -hmm. How many of you are patters? You're a patter? Okay. How many of you are just like full on, I'm hugging you? Okay. If I don't want to hug you, I'm a patter. If I want to hug you, I'm a hugger. All right. Three seconds. If you will extend that to 20 seconds, it releases a hormone, a chemical, inside your brain called oxytocin. And oxytocin has something to do with making you feel good about life. I don't know exactly what that does, but a 20-second hug does, does more than what just kind of an in and out. So what I was thinking about is we are in Christ. Yeah, that's good theology. We are in Christ. And Christ is in the bosom of the Father, I think according to John. So we are actually in the bosom of the Father. Like that's where we are right now. That, like where you sit, you're like, what the heck is he talking about? I'm not sure, just roll with me. You, where you sit tonight right now, you are in the bosom of the Father. It's not somewhere you're going. You're already there. You're already melting into his arms. So what if melting into his arms isn't something that you do, it's something that you wake up to the fact that you're already having that done to you? What do you think about that? No, I agree 100%. Yeah. It's, it's, not, it, it's almost like the more that I relax 
And the more that you said that some people are asleep, right? The more that I wake up to what's already true about me, it isn't like I've got to strive to do something more. It's that I wake up to the fact that I already am in the bosom of the Father. Yeah. I like that. Um, and then you said the third thing, if I wrote it down right. Was the third thing, did it was, I? It was probably a bunch of jumbled what was the third, third thing? things. What was um, it? I think more than anything, it was like allowing ourselves to be encouraged by the way that the Lord leads us, even if it is, you know, causing us to give up something we may think that we need. Okay, so he might discipline you. Yes, yes. Right. Where's the area he's disciplining you? Oh, that's deep. Um, I think just um, number one in one of my mentors, he sort of introduced this concept to me of like spiritual integrity of being, I think that you know, kind of like what James talks about, you know, being doers of the word, not only hearers of it. And so I think that God is really taking me on this journey of especially when it comes to like the things that I say and the things that come out of my mouth and the things that I speak about other people with. And is that really wholesome and good talk that's coming out of my mouth? And does that really need to be said? So I think that that's one thing and then when it comes to just like spiritual integrity is like really living the word and saying, okay, if these are like the teachings of Jesus, how do I tangibly follow this here and now? And what areas of my life do I need to allow myself to be changed in when it comes to these teachings? How many of you feel like she's just completely different from you? How many of you are like, yep, that's my girl. I, I get her. That's how I live. Because there, one of the reasons that I love Voices of Gen U, you are nothing like Dan Early. <laughs> you're really not. You're, com- you're a completely different feel. <laughs> I don't know if that was a dig against Dan or a compliment <laughs> to Hannah, but praise the Lord, the man said. It's... But it, it is, in seriousness, Rex. I know what you mean. You bring something to the body of Christ that I, you challenge. You, you challenge. And that, that's a gift, right? And then I, I, I look at others and I go, you encourage. That's a gift. You console and comfort, not you. That, that's a gift. You meet me as an everyday guy right where I am. That's a gift. McSwain calls me to embrace the adventure and the journey. That's the gift. And that's the gift of the body of Christ. And I think, here's how I would articulate, and I'm not saying that you should, I'm just offering my perspective. I think, and I'm not telling you to go work at a church, but I think the calling to me feels like pastor because you're calling out the gifts that are in people. And for God's sake, don't go work at a church unless Jesus makes you. And if he makes you, just argue with him, okay? If you can do anything else in life, for, for the love of God, do that. But if you're called to do that, then just go ahead and die and relax into it, right? A lot of people are called to be pastors that don't work at churches thank God, to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. And we need that. We need your voice. But also don't feel guilty 
if her voice isn't your voice, right? Um, I want to just one more thing just to kind of wrap up here. You said God wants to feel our pain. Tell me more about that. God wants to feel our pain. I think, um, I think for me, what that looks like is honestly like allowing myself to feel it and acknowledge it and then saying, okay, God, like I am really struggling with this and this is hard and I don't know how to go and walk about this, but I know that you are good and that you are loving and that you care for me and I know that I can trust you with this and allowing yourself to and because I am a one and because I do feel that constant pressure to be good enough or like being critical of myself it's like many times we as ones we don't allow ourselves to feel that pain because that's a sign of weakness and allowing and I think a lot of where probably this deep intimacy of searching Christ comes from is just allowing myself to be weak and allowing myself to be who I really am in the arms of a God who I didn't really understand. And when I began to understand that he genuinely wanted to know my heart and that he didn't care that I was hurting, that he was able to be there for me. Pain isn't something that we often think about when we think about the nature of of God and God's experience with us. I was reading Ezekiel this morning. We like a God who delivers us out of trouble. We don't often think about a God who, who sits with us in the midst of our pain and bears witness to the pain. And because God has chosen not to control us, God has chosen out of love not to control us. And God has chosen out of love not to con- as a puppeteer to control everything. If I hit you in the face, I hit you in the face. God didn't hit you in the face, right? And sometimes, like any loving parent, the most that God can do due to the nature of how the world is broken, sometimes the most that that God can do is enter into that pain and weep with you. And that feels like something that you shouldn't say about an almighty God And yet, just time and again, I see it in the scripture, in Ezekiel, I was reading this morning that it said uh, that that it referred to God as as having a broken heart. I'm brokenhearted over this. God was brokenhearted over something. And I thought, I don't know why it took me like 40 years to wake up to the reality that God's heart breaks, you know, and God enters into my heartbreak. When you, just as a final thing, you, you talked about, um, we, I made a note here. I, I wanted to ask you about this. The Lord takes you on a journey to accept who you are. And for a person who strives to have their life together, what's the hardest thing to accept about you, especially as it relates to your faith? What's the hardest thing for you to accept about you? I think that 
I don't, and like, I know this is like a, such a super generalized statement, but it really is true for me, is that like, I just don't have it all together. And I think for most of my life, people have probably thought that I've had it all together. And for, I guess, what probably just the past three years of, I really feel like past three and a half years of like becoming more of a disciple, it was, you know, like I, I really don't have all my crap together. And becoming okay with that and becoming okay with the fact that I have things that I'm not, and be, like I said, and I, I, I love that you need Graham, but I know sometimes we over-reference it, but at the same time, because I constantly have this like self-critic inside of me that like I have to learn to stop criticizing myself when I'm not meeting the standard. But my, the standard is not anything but my own high standard that I set for myself mm. and allowing myself to enter into the Christ standard, which is grace and walking in that. I don't have anywhere else to go. Like, I feel like you've been very generous with us and very open with us. And you've given us a gift tonight to be able to see from a person who, like, it's, you're like a Paul the Apostle type person. Like, we're, we, we've got, we've got some work to do here. You know, Paul was a little cranky with the church because he saw what the church could be. And it was out of a heart of empathy and, and love. I'm not saying you're cranky with the church. I'm saying Paul saw the future. There was a gap. So he's like, we, we, we can't be having this going on. And uh, we need your voice. And we need your voice in our young people. And I'm delighted that my daughter gets to sit, you know, and, and hear you preach next door on occasion. And, um, you know, that's a, that's a good thing. So... Would you, would you just you. pray for us as we go from here? And um, uh, before you do, next week uh, wraps up our Voices of Genu series. Two more preachers, uh, Chris, Kristen Beaujolais in the back. What? What did I do? She's like, no, are you, you're not going to do it anymore? She's shaking her head no. Like, you're still in, right? You're good? Okay, thank God. Okay, all right. <laughs> and then... I was going to call you Kristen Daniels because, right? Because I remember you when you were like 11, okay? Um, and then, uh, then Ed Lewis is going to come to us next week. And uh, I'm just, they were, it was a delayed clap for Kristen. Don't pride yourself. It's, yeah, all I'm saying is... Uh, Buckle your seatbelts for next week, and because uh, I think we're I think we're in for it. Uh, this has been good, and I'm looking forward to next week as well. Would you pray for us? Yeah. Uh, dear Heavenly Father, I just uh, I just want to say thank you, God. Just thank you, thank you, thank you that we just have um, even just the incredible opportunity to be here um, and to freely express our beliefs and freely speak about you. Um, and we know that there are many parts of the world where we can't do these things. And I just want to say thank you. And we pray blessings over those countries, Lord. Um, but I just pray for all of these people here, God, that they would be encouraged by you 
and just continue to fall more in love with you and who you are and who they're called to be in you and that they would just continue to look to you as the author and perfecter of their faith. And I just want to say thank you again, Lord. You're an awesome and wonderful God. And I just pray all these things in the mighty and holy, precious name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. God bless you, church. Thank you.